Amen. So there, parents, wherever you may be, this is for you. Um, there's this phrase, there's this three-word phrase that all parents hate to hear. No matter how old your kids are, once they can start saying this three-word phrase, they're going to start getting a little frustrated. I worked at a daycare uh, for, for an extended amount of time, and, and anytime I heard these three words, I immediately sort of, I didn't flip my lid, but I just immediately got frustrated. And this is the phrase. That's not fair. That's not fair. As kids, especially, we are obsessed with things being fair. Well, that's my toy, or that's my room, or that's my food, or whatever it is. And that's not fair when someone else gets it, because it's mine. That's not fair. This was a big problem in my house growing up. I have an older uh, sister and an older brother, so I'm the youngest, and we loved to eat. Still do. But uh, we fought constantly over things because we would break it into three pieces or we'd share it, we'd split it, and whoever got the smaller piece would always claim, that's not fair. Not fair that that happened. They got, the, they, got a small, they got a bigger piece than me, and that's not fair. It should be equal. So my dad, um, and he, is, he loves this rule. Like, still to this day, I'll go home and be like, remember this rule I instituted? He's like, that's a pretty good dad move. And I'm like, yeah, dad, you did a good job. And this is the rule, that if you were sharing food and you had to break it or split it, that when you were the person who broke it, you always got the smaller piece. Always. No matter what happened, no matter if the cookie like crumbled or if the candy bar was like a little bit melty and so it didn't pull apart perfectly, if you were the person who broke the food, you always got the smaller piece. So that means when you're breaking it, you're like, this has got to be so perfect. You're like really taking care that it's even because you don't want to get less. That wouldn't be fair. And so you're breaking it, right? But ultimately something would happen, right? And you'd be like, wait, but the cookie broke or the, the candy bar was melting. You'd be like, it's not fair. And my dad would say, no, no, you're the one that broke it. You get the smaller piece. And that's how it worked. And so we never fought over who got which piece. We just fought over who had to be the person who broke it, right? No one wanted to be that person. But that is always that rule. My dad kind of brings it up, but it's also always kind of stuck with me. Kind of for two reasons. Well, first, the person who did the breaking always took the responsibility onto themselves and got the smaller piece. The person who was responsible for divvying it up was always uh, in charge, or always got the smaller piece. But, and this other reason is that I think we, we think about kids being obsessed with fairness, but I think even into adulthood, we look around the world and we see things that are unfair all the time, and it, it bothers us. And we may not say it, uh, we may not bring attention to it, we may not post about it, but it, but it bothers us. We see people get promotions, and they don't deserve them, right? We see maybe the government bans a social media app that we really like. Students, we say, that's not fair. I want to do my dances. Not fair. We see people are unfairly judged by their occupation or by the color of their skin, and we look at instances and we say, that's not fair. Our world is a constant fight for fairness, and it's been that way since the beginning. Since the beginning of time, everyone's been saying, what's fair? What do I deserve? What do I get? What do they get? And it shouldn't be more than me, because I should get more, because that's fair. So how do we, as Christians, approach fairness? 
Is fairness even a Christian virtue to begin with? It's something we really, really try to achieve in all things. So how do Christians go out and make a fair and just world? Well, in Matthew 20, Jesus tells this story that it's all about fairness. It's all about getting what you deserve or getting what you were promised. So in Matthew 20, Matthew writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reporting the story that Jesus told. This is what he says, 20 verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, that's, that's a full day's wage, so a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went, going out again, about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. So he hired more people. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. So he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius, a full day's wage. And when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last workers These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose, what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? For the last will be first the first, last. This is the word of the Lord. So, like many of Jesus' parables, uh, this story does not play out how anyone expects it to. The master of this vineyard is clearly not an economist. He's obviously not even a good business owner, right? He doesn't know how to manage his money. Not only does he keep underestimating how much labor he needs, right? He has to, he goes and he hires people and he's like, oh, there, there's more work. I need more, more labor. So he goes back and he goes back and he goes back. He does it five times. Severe underestimation. Uh, so he, 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 he gets all these people and then he lines them up backwards of whoever worked last gets paid first. And then he ends up paying everyone the same amount. Some people worked 12 hours down to people who worked one hour, and he pays them all the same. And so initially, we hear that. We hear this story, and we think those famous three words. That's not fair. So what's going on here? Well, well, first, we need to think about who Jesus is telling this story to. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and after telling a rich young man that, hey, if you want to be fulfilled, you should sell all your stuff, donate it to the poor, and follow me. And that's too much for for the rich young man to do. Uh, But Peter is always connecting dots and asking questions, right? And so Peter says, wait a minute. This is up in uh, in chapter 19, uh, verse uh, 27. He says, wait a minute. We have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? So Peter is saying, Jesus, we've done what you asked. We sold everything. We gave it to the poor and we're following you. So what do we get? What is our reward? 
What is our fair payment? And Jesus tells them, this is what your payment's going to be. And then he tells them what he echoes at the end of this story. The first will be last and the last first. And then he goes into this story and it's clear that the disciples think that they are the laborers who were called at the beginning of the day. Because they are the disciples. You'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who's following Jesus earlier than the disciples. They're like the first 12, it's kind of their thing. So they're like, that's us. We're the people who have worked all day. We're going to get the best reward because we've worked the longest and the hardest and did everything that Jesus wanted us to do. We're the best. We're the top. But then this confusing turn happens when the laborers are lined up. And the master says, line them up from the last, or to those who first came, to those who were last, or those who last came up to the first. These people who were here for one hour are getting to go first in line. That's not fair. Think about it this way. You're at Chick-fil-A. You're hot, sweaty. You just want lemonade. That's all you want. And you've been waiting in line for an hour. That would never happen at Chick-fil-A. They would never make you wait an hour. We're using our imaginations, right? So you're waiting in line. You're in the drive-thru. And there is a line behind you all the way back to that big road right there, whatever it's called. Chick-fil-A road is what I call it. Chick-fil-A road. So there's all these cars behind you. And you've been waiting, and you've been waiting, and the, the employee is there, and they've got their iPad, and maybe it's raining, so they've got their little, like, like, box on, you know? And so, and they're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and they're about your next. You're like, yes, I'm finally going to get my lemonade. And they walk right past your car. And they don't go to the car behind you, or the car behind that car, or even the car behind that car. They walk all the way around their parking lot, and they go to the very last car in line, and they take their order and give them their food and then work forward. That's not fair. If that's me in the drive-thru, I'm like, I'm popping the curb. I'm getting out of there. I've been waiting for a long time. I deserved to be served next. That wasn't fair. I waited longer, so I should be next. And that's exactly how these laborers who'd been working all day for 12 hours, that's how they felt. They'd been there longer, so they should have been first in line. They should have got paid first. That is what is fair. So what does that show us about fairness in God's kingdom? Well, it shows us this, that our merit does not earn us a spot in the kingdom of heaven. Our merit does not earn us a spot in the kingdom of heaven. It's not a football team, right? The kingdom of God is not uh, like a basketball team. It's not like you go to tryouts and you work really hard and you practice. And then if you're the best, you get to be on the team. You get to be first string, maybe second string, uh, whatever it is, whatever you've earned. It's not how God's kingdom works. God's kingdom is not a meritocracy. You are not honored by how much you give or how long you can work. If you are retrieved by the master and you come into the vineyard, you will be in the kingdom. You're in the kingdom, but working harder or doing more and being better will not get you further up in line. Actually, working harder and and trying to to do the best you can and, and be better will probably send you further back in line because the more you think that you have to earn your spot in the kingdom of God, the further back in line you will go. Those people that are in the front of the line, those one hour servants, those will be the people that we've never heard of. The quiet servants whose names are never recorded by the news or by history, those are the ones up front. And and there will be laborers who we think shouldn't even be in the kingdom. That, That person didn't work at all. They don't deserve to be in this vineyard. 
I guarantee you those people are in front of you in line. So we got this, this backwards line, but then there's this, there's this glimmer of hope for the people in the back. Right? So in verse 9, and when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. So if you're in the back, you've worked all day, you were promised a denarius, and you're standing back here, and you're like, you know, watching what people in front of you are getting. You're like, hey, that person was only here for an hour, and they got a full day's wage. So by the time I get up there, I've worked for 12 hours. I'm getting 12 days wages. He's paying a full day's wage for every hour work. This is amazing. This is the best. But then you're standing back in line, maybe you move up a little bit, and you're like, well, that person was here for six hours, and they're, they're, they're getting a denarius, and you're going to move up. And those people were here for, for nine hours, and they're getting a full day's wage. And finally, the realization sets in that you are only getting paid one day's wage. Even though the people who were there for an hour got the same, you who worked for 12 are getting one day's wage. It's disappointing. And it's a silly thing to be disappointed about because that is what was promised to them. Like, uh, can you be upset at your employer because you, work, you get paid seven, seventy-five an hour, whatever minimum wage is, and you work that number of hours and they give you their pay, your paycheck and it's for the exact amount that you work for and you're like, Bleh. this is not how it's supposed to work. No, they got what they were promised. See, the line fiasco, right, getting lined up backwards, that's forgivable, but this is just terrible business. To pay every worker, no matter how long they've worked, doesn't sound like God's kingdom. It sounds like a Bernie Sanders policy. But what is Jesus telling us? What is Jesus' point? It's clearly not an economic point. That's for sure. What it shows us is that God's gifts are not about being fair. The master is not paying the laborers off of what they earned. He's not paying them because they worked hard. His reason for his payment lies elsewhere. And honestly, most of them get more than what they, they deserve. It's not fair. Most people get more money than what they worked for. So we, we like to look at that and we think, that's not fair. That's not how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to get paid for how much you work. But church, this is actually great news because in reality, we've done no work in the master's vineyard. We've done nothing to gain payment. We've done nothing to gain a reward. We've done nothing to gain the Father's love. In fact, it would be more like, the parable would be more like us going into the vineyard, lighting a match and lighting the whole thing on fire destroying the master's whole vineyard and walking up and saying, money please, would like my payment, a day's wage. We do not want God to deal with us fairly because if God were to deal, deal with us fairly, we would not be getting a denarius. We would not be getting a full day's wage. We would not be getting let into the vineyard at all. If God dealt with us fairly, then there's only one payment we can receive that is fair and that is eternal torment in hell. We are lucky that we are not dealt with fairly. See, the master never pays anyone less than what he promises them. He only pays people what they are promised and more. He chooses to be generous and pay everyone the same. God never gives us less than he has promised us. 
God never gives us less than he has promised us. He doesn't change the rules or update the terms terms and conditions. He is always faithful to his promises. The master doesn't just give the bare minimum. He gives generously. God does not just give us the bare minimum. He gives generously. He sacrifices. He loses part of himself to give back to us. God's gifts are not about fairness. God's gifts are about showing grace. The reward of the day's work is the same for all people, not because they earned it, but out of the generosity of the master. He's not shortchanging anyone. He's not jipping anyone. Everyone gets what is right as determined by him. The master has decided to be generous and pay everyone a full day's wage. It is a show of grace, not fairness. God, in the same way, in the outpouring of his love and his kindness, is going to reward us for a payment we could never pay back, for something that we could never earn. Because of our sin, we don't deserve the gift of God. The only thing that would be fair for God to do is to let us die without ever hearing his name or hearing his voice in his word. That's what's fair. But in his loving kindness, he showers us with rewards and blessings that we never earned and never could earn. Even if we worked for a million years, we did the hardest labor for a million years, we would never earn the Father's love. It would never be enough. The master pays all the labors according to his own love and grace and generosity. And this doesn't sit well with the laborers who've been there all day. They start to to complain. They start to grumble. And this comes from one of two places, right? They either think, well, I deserve more. Those people didn't work as much as me, so I deserve more. Or conversely, they think they deserve less. Those people didn't work as hard, so they deserve less than me. It's a problem on both fronts. It's either totally focused on self and the work that I did, or it's total focus on those and the work that they didn't do. And they grumble about the master's decision. It's, it, it's, a, it's a specific word, the word grumbling. In verse 11, and I'm receiving it, they grumbled at the master. And this is what Jesus is trying to remind us of. It's a specific word that should remind us of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness and how they grumbled against the Lord who is guiding them and feeding them literal food from heaven. And they don't think it's enough and they grumble. And so what did God do with those who grumbled against him? They were not permitted to enter the promised land and they died in the desert. Grumbling against the grace of God is not just some minor offense. It is a deadly sin. Complaining about God's saving grace is a deadly sin. It's the first step in saying, God doesn't know how to use his gifts. I do. I'm the one who knows how much you deserve and how much I deserve. That's what grumbling is. The laborers grumble. And the master hears them, and, and look how he answers their complaints. They're grumbling in, in, uh, in verse 13. So they grumble, and they say, These last only worked one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. So the master fully could just say, Get out. I never want to see you. I'm never going to hire you ever again. I never want to see your face. Get out of my, get, get out of my vineyard. But that's not what he says. Look at what he says. He says, friend. He calls him a friend. I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? So 
First, he calls him, friend, these people are criticizing him and grumbling against his generosity, and he says, friends. And, he, and then he, just, he, doesn't, he doesn't yell at them or complain about them, but he asks them a couple of questions. The first one being, did you not agree with me for a denarius? He's asking, why are you upset? You got what I promised you. Why does it matter if other people got the same thing that you were promised? You got what I promised to give you. You have no reason to be upset. So he asks that question. And then he asks another question. He says, am I not allowed to do with what belongs to me? Essentially, the master is telling him, why do you get to decide what I do with my money? How do you, why do you, a laborer, get to decide how I pay my other laborers? God's gifts are his to give. God's gifts are his to determine who gets what. Any blessing that is given to anyone at any time in the world is a gift from God. It's why in our generosity prayer, uh, we remind ourselves every week that all that we have, we have received from God. God is the source of, of all blessing. He's the sole person responsible for giving out the blessing. His salvation, his, his gift of, of, of any riches, of family, of a job, opportunity, whatever you find fulfilling, whatever brings you joy, that is God's gift to you. So whatever God gives you in life, because he is the source of all blessing, whatever he gives you is fair. All blessings come from him. Because he is the source, what he gives is fair. So when we look around and we get envious of people and we think they have what I don't, or we get puffed up and we say, look at all the great things I have. Aren't I really great because God has blessed me? Or we have this deep longing in our souls and we're thinking, God, if you would just give me this, I would be happy, I would be fulfilled. If you feel any of those ways, then we are just like those laborers grumbling before God. He has blessed us fairly with what he chose to give us. The gifts are his to give. Are we to begrudge God's generosity? Is it our place to say, God, you should have given me more. You should have given them less. There's this like new phenomenon uh, on social media uh, Twitter specifically, where uh, these like uber rich people, right? These super rich, like Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, these super rich people will give money, like generously donate money, like tons of money, right? Like $30 million to something like cancer research or Parkinson's research or, uh, or, or like COVID research, whatever it is. And people on social media will be like, yeah, well, that's only 0.0003% of his net worth. So it's actually not that big of a deal. Like what is the attitude of these people that are begrudging $50 million of, of cancer research, of Parkinson's research, of, of whatever research it is saying, hey, you could have given more or you, you should have given it to someone else. Is that our place to say you should have been more generous? No, of course not. It's silly. We should celebrate all generosity. But when we think that God is blessing people in ways that don't, they don't deserve, or we think God is neglecting to properly bless us, it's just like that. It's just like criticizing someone's charitable giving. We're saying, God, you, you really didn't give me that much. I know you're in charge of all things, so you should really bless me more. 
I work really hard. I follow all your rules. I go to church every Sunday. You should really bless me more. It's not our place. So while God's gifts are not fairly earned by our merit, they are fairly given from the source of all blessing. Let me say that again. God's gifts are not fairly earned by our merit or our work, but they are fairly given from the source of all blessing, and that should always be celebrated. Always be celebrated. God's blessings should always be celebrated, not begrudged. So church, imagine this with me. We're all called out into the fields. Some of you in here would be in the first hour, right? You don't remember a time in your life where you didn't know Jesus, where you weren't a follower of Jesus. You've believed for as long as you know, and you've dedicated your life to serving God, serving in the ministry. You're in the first hour, you know it. Some of us would be in the third hour, it took us a little bit, or the sixth hour, or the ninth hour. And honestly, if if we're being honest with ourselves, some of us would be in the last hour. It took us a long time to come into the vineyard of God. But here's the question. How are we going to look at and treat those who came after us? Those people who we think have not put in the work or the time or the effort, how are we going to treat them? What if we stopped using phrases like, well, that's not how it used to be. Or, well, I've been here 30 years, so X, Y, Z. How would our church change if we put those who put in the least amount of work, who looked like they least deserved it, what if we gave them the highest honor? What would our church look like and how would it expand if someone walked through those doors who who looked differently or spoke differently or voted differently than we think they should vote and they came in and instead of looking at them and never talking to them or writing them off, they don't believe like we do, we don't agree on these things. What if we instead gave them the highest place of honor in our church? We said, here's your chair. This is your home. You belong here. What if, our services and our events or our classes, how would they change if we looked at people with the eyes of God and we gave them not what we thought they deserved, but we gave them the grace that was given to us? What if we spent more time thanking God for the blessings he is giving us than worrying about the things that he hasn't given us? This church, our community, what we do in in ministry right now, church, is our vineyard. We are called to work in the kingdom of God. This is our vineyard. How are we going to honor those who work in it? Is it going to look like the world or the people that do the most and and serve the most and and are respected the most? Are they going to get the highest honor? Or is it going to look like the kingdom of God where the smallest, the last, the least of these are most honored above all? Because church, if we follow the guides of the master in this text. We can be more humble. We can be more thankful. We can be more diverse and a more grace-filled church than ever before, and we can honor and show grace and keep working, and then the Lord will deliver on his promises. We can outdo each other in showing honor. So how do we do that? How do we reframe how we look at people and how we experience God's grace and God's gifts and extend it to others? I have three quick things that we can do. First, find who is last in your life and honor them. This is about to get real. I'm about to step on some toes, but that's okay. I'm, I'm doing it to myself as well. But think about this with me. 
in your mind, in your perception, who is last? Who is it in your life that you think is beyond saving? Who is it in your life that you think is beyond God's grace? Who is the person that you think deserves less than you in God's kingdom? Maybe it's someone personal that did something and they they hurt you. They deeply hurt you for something personal. Maybe it's something more abstract. Maybe it's like a politician that you disagree with or someone who supports that politician. Maybe it's a protester in downtown Cincinnati. You think they don't deserve. Or maybe it's a police officer who's just serving his community and you think that's evil. Whoever it is, whoever is last in your life, in your mind, find who it is and honor them. Put them first. Put them before yourselves. Put them first with your words. Put them first with your posts, with your deeds, with everything you have. Put those people who are last in your mind first. Put them before yourself. Because those last people, those people that we can't even imagine sharing heaven with, we can't even imagine getting to heaven and seeing this person there. That is the person that Jesus is talking about. That is the last that will be first. Paul says in Romans, outdo one another in showing honor. Love a good competition. So who among us, church, can be the most honorable, the most uh, humble the most uplifting person in our church. Let's be marked by our honor of others, not tearing people down, not embarrassing people, not slandering them, but sacrificing and putting them first. So find who's last in your life and honor them. Second, stop comparing your story to others. One of my biggest my biggest issue with this story is that the, the laborers who have been there for the longest time, they have obviously memorized who came first, like who came after them, right? So they're standing in line and they're like, and they're like, that person got a full day's wage and they were here after me. I worked longer than they did. And, and, and they, worked, they worked shorter, but they got paid the same. Like if they had just talked amongst themselves and not worried about how much everyone was getting paid, then they wouldn't care. There'd be no problem. The, the parable wouldn't exist. But because they're sitting there and they're comparing how long and how hard they've been working and, and how much money they've, got, they've gotten paid, that there's a problem. That there's this, this grumbling because they're comparing their work to other people's work. Everyone in this room and everyone not in this room, being, God is telling an individual beautiful story that God is using to glorify himself and it is your story, and it is no one else's. So don't look at other people and think, well, they deserve more, or they deserve less, because this only takes us down two paths. Either that builds guilt and shame and discontentment in your own life. You say, oh, I could never be like that. God will never bless me in that way. I don't deserve any of that. Or you end up like the all-day laborers, and you think, well, I deserve more than that person. I, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I I put in the blood, sweat, and tears. I didn't make the mistakes they did. They should have made better decisions. They should have been here earlier. But they don't deserve as much as me. Whatever your story is, stop comparing it to other people's. Because look, we are all so far from the holiness of God. We're so far 
And it doesn't matter how much better or how much worse you think you are than other, other people because you are so far from perfect that the differences are negligible. It doesn't even matter. It would be like if we all lined up and tried to jump to Hawaii, right? Like whoever got the furthest, great job. You're still a thousand miles away. So we're all pretty close to each other. That's what it's like to compare ourselves so far from God's glory. So one, find who's last in your life and honor them. Two, stop comparing your story to others. And three, be sure to give thanks more than you grumble. Let's watch our speech and our thoughts this week. Are we complaining more than we are thanking God for what he has given us? I heard this story about a dad who's a really picky eater, and I assured Brent, Brent, this is not about you. This is not a story about you. I'm getting that out there. It's not a story about Brent. So this dad is, is a really picky eater, and he's always complaining about the food that, that is being made for dinner. Always complaining about it. It's, it's too stale. It's overdone. I don't like this. And every night he complains. But then after he complains, they sit there, and they pray, and they thank God for the food, and they eat. And so one night while they're eating, one of the kids says, Dad, does God hear our prayers? And the dad says, yes, of course God hears our prayers. And then the child asks, does God hear everything that we say? And the, the father replies, yes, God hears every word that we say. The child thinks about the dinner and what had happened. And then he asks his dad, he says, which words does God believe? What words is God, are, is God hearing from you? Is it more grumbling and complaining than it is thankfulness? Because we live in the most prosperous nation, one of the most prosperous times in history. We mostly all have food and all have houses and beds, and we have blessed in many, many, many ways. There's very little reason for us to complain and to grumble. So are we complaining and grumbling like the Israelites in the desert who are literally being guided by God and giving, being given food from heaven? Or are we singing and praising and worshiping like the disciples after being persecuted in the name of Jesus? We should be sure that our words of thanks outweigh our words of complaint. And that's hard because there's a lot of hardness going on in our lives. But like I said earlier, there are many, many things that God has blessed us with. Many physical, tangible things, houses, families, food, jobs, whatever it is. But get rid of all that. God has not just given us all this great stuff. God sent his only son, his beloved son, to go out of perfection into this dirty, sinful, evil world, live perfectly, sacrificially, and then die for the sins that we committed. That's the gift that God has given us. He has given us his son to die in our place for our wrongs so that God could spend eternity with us, loving us, experiencing us. He gave his son to die. That is just not fair. How thankful we are that it's not. Let's pray. Father God, your gifts are not fair.
We have done nothing to work and gain your love, but Father, you give it gracefully, fully. Father God, as we go into this world that is confusing and, and, and tormenting and, and evil and broken, Father God, we ask that you would remind us that your gifts are good and yours to give. Your grace covers all things. And that you didn't have to give that to us, but you chose to out of generosity and love. You gave us your son. God, would the sacrifice of Jesus compel us, drive us into living more humbly, more self-sacrificially, to honor those who come last in our eyes. God, because we are like those who came last. That you honor us. We're thankful gifts, but we are most thankful for the gift of your son. God, use your spirit this week to help us live more humbly, sacrificially. Help us labor hard in the vineyard, not to get paid what we deserve, but because of our love for you. As our prayer. Be better disciples, better laborers, better kingdom workers. In your son's name, all God's people